0: Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus 360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Pat B's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore and program design delivered by coach Robert Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus 360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just wanted to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest sees the return of Mladen Jovanovic from complementarytraining.net. Mladen is a physical preparation coach from Belgrade, Serbia. He grew up in Pula in Croatia. I hope I pronounced that right, Mladen, uh, which he considers his hometown. He was involved in the physical preparation of professional, amateur, and recreational athletes of various ages in various sports such as basketball, soccer, volleyball, martial arts, and tennis. In his free time, Mladen trains boxing and MMA and likes to lift, sometimes heavy, he says here, along with reading about statistics and learning or programming language, each to their own. Some consider him an Excel wizard. Well, he knows a hell of a lot more about Excel than I do, so I consider him a wizard. And he also is interested in predictive analytics and machine learning. Mladen was on the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast back on episode 146, which is linked up in the show notes. On this episode, Milladin and I discuss a ton of topics. We discuss about his hit manual. I asked Malladin why did he decide to write about hit and agile periodization for his first book? I asked Mladin to explain what the term satisfies means. I asked Malladin to discuss Leonard Jimmy Savage's small world versus large world model. I asked Mladin to outline his endurance map. I asked Mladin to explain what our maximal sprint speed maximum aerobic speed, and the anaerobic speed reserve. Mladen outlines what tests he'd like to use to get an idea of an individual's maximum sprint speed, maximum aerobic speed, and anaerobic speed reserve. Mladen explains what is sensitivity analysis. I asked Mladen what are the best ways to estimate an individual's maximum sprint speed. Mladen discusses the different hit methods outlined in his manual. I asked Maladdin to outline his tempo running method and how he individualizes its prescription. I asked Mladen, can you estimate an individual's 100 meter time from a flying 10? I asked Mladen why total time of repeated sprints is a better indicator of repeated sprintability than a fatigue drop index. I asked Maladdin to discuss the importance of having heuristics when planning and organizing training to navigate uncertainty. I asked Maladin regarding the planning of training, what should be done, when should it be done, and how to minimize being wrong, which are three concepts he outlines in his manual. I asked Maladin to discuss phenomenological analysis, mechanistic or performance analysis, and physiological analysis. Maladin and I discuss how principles from economics can be applied to planning the training process. Maladdin outlines his three heuristics for planning training which are, one, make it simple, two, decrease the downside, and three, increase the upside. I asked Mladen what fields from outside of sports preparation did he research for his manual. Mladen discusses iterative planning versus upfront planning. Mladen discusses criteria-based programming. And finally, I asked Mladen what was he reading at the time that we recorded this podcast. Guys, this was an outstanding conversation with Mladen and i hope you really really enjoy it maladin you absolute beauty we're recording how are you
1: awesome mate thanks for having me again i think this is the third time right
0: uh no it's only our second podcast but uh you've ah, been... we had a
1: written interview
0: yeah but how do you remember that that was like I'm, almost that's the first years.
1: interview i did man you
0: told me you told me that last yeah, time you were
1: the first who interviewed me and then my career went ballistically <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that
0: no problem man no problem at all i i can i always remember reading your early stuff because you know as a young coach as you know like you, you get fascinated with like the x's and o's uh initially you know so i was really big into periodization and then obviously i came across your writing on elite fts and then you know it was all this talk about like concurrent versus conjugate and west side and complex parallel and the bond and truck systems and i was like it was like it was like people knew about it, but no one kind of could make any sense of it. And then, like you were the first person who kind of wrote all this periodization stuff in a way that made sense. So I was always like reading your stuff. And then, like I was full sure, like you, like you were some old fucking Eastern European scientist, like because the way you know the writing was so good. Then I found out you were like almost the same age as me, and I was like, Who I'll the fuck? Back then, yeah. <laughs> who the fuck is this guy? And <laughs> then also too, uh, you interned at Boyles and I happened to be. I was literally. At NBSC, I think, like, the day before you arrived, because I was at Perform Better. And Steve Bunker, Bunky, you know Bunky, he was mm-hmm. like, oh, Maladon's coming to intern this summer. And I was like, no way. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like, even though we've actually never officially met in person, it's kind of like we've always kind of, uh, we're, we've, we've kind of just been in this field yeah. around the same time, you know?
1: Running parallel, so.
0: Running parallel, yeah. So, listen, you finally fucking did it. You put a book out, and you've got, like, a million other ones to fucking finish up and put out. Yeah, I have a
1: Ferrari outside.
0: <laughs> he does. He does. People are on video here. He's showing me right now. it's yeah. like, that, it's, like uh, it's like your man. I don't. Do you know Ty Lopez? He's, he's that guy off YouTube, and every, everyone keeps saying that he's a, he's a he's a fraud. Like, but apparently he really is a millionaire. Like, but people were giving him grief, saying that he used to go in and rent a house and rent a Ferrari and he'd be like, this is my home and this is my car. And people are like, no, it's not. He just rented that for the video and he people just says, sending him money. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. like
1: those like uh, Insta girls that, that exactly. buy themselves like uh, 100 roses. And they're like, oh, someone send me those roses. Yeah, like, yeah. you send it yourself <laughs> just to be famous, man. Uh, Jesus, don't get me started on those. Let's stick I- to S&C. <laughs>
0: yeah, let's stick to fucking that. Uh, this hit manual here I've got notes fucking falling off. my table's too small but come here so first off hit uh, it's it says it says h i i t on the manual but really it's h i t Um, what made you want to write a hit manual so it's it's hit manual so the, the title is hit manual high intensity interval training and agile periodization why was this the first book
1: oh man it's just a, a coincidence so uh, first of all, I started writing a, a big magnum opus book that covers everything. So uh, on the blog, there are a series of articles on uh, planning microcycle. Um, there's a, a series on uh, strength training planning. So those are all bits and pieces of the this big big book idea that I had in mind. So I wanted to you know take it out of my head, <clears throat> and then. Um, like it started as a, as a chapter. So it started as a chapter and um, like, I I want to make a systematic effort of, you know, classifying and and simplifying all these, you know, a lot of, you know, different variations of um, HIT drills in terms like 15, 30, 10, 20, all this stuff. So I wanted to make a sense. And, and at the same time, I created a tool, HIT builder. yeah, And like, Damn! I wish I had this tool when I was coaching more intensively. So because it's very easy to kind of you know select the group, group the athletes into you know clusters with with a similar velocity or or actually distance for a given HIT drill, all this stuff. So I build a tool first, and then I, I you know over a few days I um, I, I, I call I, I call it like I, I let it slowly cook in my head all these uh, classifications and with the help a little bit of help of vodka. So I managed to kind of spit out some something that that I think it's meaningful to to me. And, you know, then I started writing, you know, all these pretty much how to like, um, you know, what tools I need, you know, um, how do I plan the intervals, velocities and all this stuff. And, you know, it became a really, really big chapter. Yeah. Um, So then I decided, you know what, maybe this should should go as a separate book um so then i decided to chop this magnum opus into smaller bits bits and pieces and then publish them independently and i think that's even even better idea f- you know multi- for multiple reasons one is one is like uh it's easier first of all it's easier you get something out it's similar to agile polarization. or you, know, you get something out rather than you know investing three years in writing a magnum opus yes yeah so I rather want to publish multiple, maybe four or five multiple smaller books. And, you know, it's, it's easier. And also, I think it's also financially better because you have four or five books. And, you know, the sum of those books will be like two or three times more, more expensive than, than one magnum opus. Yeah, yeah. So it, I, it has multiple benefits.
0: It's, uh, it's also, um, if I can just pull it up here, where was it? Yeah, it's similar to in the manual there on one page 39. I'm actually skipping away here because this is something actually towards the end. But when you talk about uh, irritable planning, you know, so the concept of doing that rather than rather than doing upfront planning. Cause so upfront planning is like writing a big, massive book with your whole thoughts on it. And then you realize by the time it's published, you're like, fuck, I need to put updates on that already. Whereas if you put out multiple mini-manuals, you you can continually update, you know what I mean? Exactly. Ear to planning, yeah. So same concept too when it comes to planning the training. So So,
1: pretty much all the writers never finish the book. You know, I I keep reminding myself everything I write, everything I do, like finish it, finish it, finish it, you know, get it out, get it out. Like same thing with with the scientific articles. Like I'm writing, I don't know how many scientific articles now, like for my PhD as well. And, you know, you you get up, you start the projects, like I start one project, another project is like, then I have like 10 projects up and running. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I need to them, you know, finish one, publish it. And then that's why I like the preprints. Like I, I want to, you know, I put it on a preprint, then I can uh, like, I tick that box off and then I can focus on another. And then, you know, but by the time I, I run through a sequence, people give me a feedback on the preprint, fix the preprint, publish it on a peer review journal. So that's pretty much the same thing with the with the books you publish by chunks, learn the feedback from people, then, you know, start from the beginning. You just recycle, you know, you update. So you, we also learn from, you know, from feedback from from um, from readers.
0: Absolutely. As, as there's a famous saying, don't let perfection get in the way of progress.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Per, uh, perfect is the enemy of good enough. Yeah, I think that's, exactly. that's the statement.
0: All right. So let's get into this. Yeah, the, the, the manual is split into two parts. We have hit basics and hit planning. So I have my notes made out here and I've, you can see, look, the book has got all the little tags on it. Looks all the stuff on it. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So I, I, I studied it. Uh, the first thing we we'll want to talk about was this concept of stratosize from Herbert Simon. So can you just explain to the listeners what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, we just mentioned it. So the it's the same thing as uh, perfect is the enemy of good enough. So mm-hmm. we get paralyzed with making a you know best the most optimal the best progressions all this stuff, and then you know something changes and that optimal doesn't become optimal. It can even become harmful because the stuff changes, and it also it's paralyzing because you you know it's it's like coaching yourself writing a program for your yourself. Yeah. So you want to make it perfect. You want to make like are uh, the, the exercise selection perfect you know the set and up scheme scheme's perfect the percentages perfect for like 6 to 12 weeks and then you know you, you start doing it and then you notice that oh this doesn't work because you know maybe i don't have this equipment or you know my grip got fatigued from previous exercise or something like that that, that you didn't like you, you 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 couldn't predict when you were planning so it comes from actually implementing it so one idea, you know, behind the satisficing is that, you know, you, you lose time making things perfect. So you, you start with something that's good enough or pretty much yeah, yeah. and hopefully satisfying in different uh, environments or context. You start with that and then, you know, through the action, through the uh, iterations, you kind of, you know, converge to what might be the best uh, solution for your particular uh, context
0: yeah because you you because you kind of use that term to describe the difference between like coaching and the lab coats and you say here on page 11 it bears mention yogi berry saying in theory there is no difference between theory and practice in practice there is
1: oh yeah i i uh, read that from uh nasim taylor so i i i really love it i mean i sometimes see myself as a devil's advocate like if i'm I I keep saying that if I'm in a room full of coaches, I'll defend sports science. So I'll tell them, you know, you know, you you do need to analyze the data, you need to follow up, you need to, you know, read the papers. And then if I'm in a full of you know room of lab coats, I'm gonna tell them, hey, you know, take it easy. You know, it's not that complex. You know, you know, sometimes you you need to accept the uncertainty and go with the, yeah. the best practices and what's already been done. So it's I think we need to find a balance between the these two. It, continuing on from
0: that, I, I really love this concept on pages 14, 15, small world versus large world. I just really like the analogy you used here to get your point across. So can you maybe just explain to the listeners what you mean by this concept of a small world and large, a large so world? So I think
1: that's being suggested in 1920s or something like that by Jimmy Savage, which is a famous statistician. And he's one of the, the, the fathers of the modern Bayesian statistics.
0: You have him down here as uh, Leonard Savage,
1: 1962. Yeah, yeah, 62? Oh, yes, okay. 62. Yes, 62. it earlier. So yeah, the book is I think from 62. So he 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 suggested this analogy of uh, a large world and a small world. So I'll, I'll give you one example. So imagine you want to, um, let's say, I'll give you an example from from performance analysis or like injury prediction. So imagine you want to you want to see like can we predict injuries from a training load so that's that's a question you want to answer and then you need to represent injuries as some type of a number like mm. what injuries soft tissue injuries contact injuries non contact injuries um you know how you know, like on a given day in a given week or yeah. you know how like Match, you need to,
0: ma- matches versus training
1: still yeah playing. yeah all this stuff and then training load what goes into a training load like is it is it you know GPS, is it internal? Um, you know, how do we take into account, say, uh, weather temperature, the change in surface? All this stuff comes from really complex world, like the, called the large world. And we need to kind of simplify it and represent it with a small world model. And by representing it, we are immediately making assumptions and subjective choices in terms of what should go into a small world. And all the statistics, all the analysis, all the stuff, is done within the constraints of the small world so everything is nominated um, you know how many variables you put in a model that's a subjective choice sometimes it's subjective sometimes it's practical choice like how many data points I have or data sources I have and all this stuff is is pretty much subjective so this is, this is the distinction between you know with, with the small world you can you can calculate the optimal distributions you can calculate the Uh, posterior probabilities all all this stuff but you need to represent the complex world into a small world and that's why I also don't believe that the science is is objective or any other model is like this is objective model because by making a model you make a lot of um, subjective choices and assumptions Mm. which doesn't like don't get me wrong I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to say that everything is relative and you know everything is like meaningless, like postmodernist claim. Like there's, you know, every model is a relative. No, but I I like this idea of the, um, I think, pluralist. There's like a multiple models and there's a hierarchy of evidence, like hierarchy of those models. So like you can make subjective choice, like you cannot run away from subjective choice when you model the complex reality. Yeah, but some models are better than others. And you know, that, that's the idea behind the, the multimodal inference in statistics, like choosing what, what model is the, I would say the best representative or has the best predictive power uh, when applied in a complex, complex world. Mm-hmm. So I like, I, I like, I really like this, this idea because yeah, uh, too, it, yeah. it can be expanded to everything else we are doing. So, you know, it's pretty much the philosophy of science. And um, so it can be applied to statistics or you know, data analysis, and it can also apply to you know, prioritization strategies we are doing, like um, we can talk about that, like uh, the constructs we are using. So let's say we, you have a co- complex reality of the, of the athlete and you want to try to minimize all these different phenomena you, you observe. So you try not to squeeze it into boxes. And, you know, we call those boxes motor abilities yeah. so, or, or physiological qualities. So we yeah. squeeze, squeeze the phen- phenomenology into those boxes. So those are also small world uh, models. So once you have those boxes, first of all, we have assumptions that these boxes are actually exist out there in quotation mark. Mm-hmm. So, and then all the prioritization, all the planning is, you know, using those blocks as bricks to lay them down. And uh, and then <laughs> you mentioned before at Elite FTS, all the articles I wrote, like everybody's using the same bricks definitions, and then there's so many different ways to, you can lay down the bricks, but then at some point you need to kind of question, like, you know, who defined the bricks? Are they really out there? Like, do those bricks really exist? And this is not the only sport science or, you know, sport practice problem. If you, if you check the literature on IQ or, or a G factor, or like what constitutes the, the constructs of the behavior or or cognition, you can also see like really, really same issues of like how many qualities are there, like how many buckets are there. Is there one unifying G factor? Like it is, does that G factor actually exist like ontologically or is like a, is a fluke of the analysis? So th- this is all quite common to any, which is called Latin variable modeling. And one of the, I would say the major uh, sources of this type of statistical reasoning is, is from actually psychology and the IQ, um, IQ and the big five and all this stuff. That's all trying to squeeze like complex world of, of, um, of behavior phenomena into few buckets. Yeah. So this is also example of this, the big world and a, a large world and a small world.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, and again, kind of skipping ahead, on on page 107, you kind of give a good summary on that. You know, you you said, like, in the case of performance, we simplify things to underline motor qualities. You have them here then brackets, uh, substance or constraints that need to be addressed for performance to emerge. And then you go on and you say, but there are multiple fallacies here. Uh, We are looking to witness to embrace more complex models that acknowledge interconnectedness between substance and form or between performance constructs, i.e. biomoterability. So basically like you're saying now, we like to put these things into these like buckets or brackets because it makes it easier to understand and it makes it makes it like it's more tangible. Seem that they're more tangible and they're real, but in in reality they're not like and things are more complex than what we're trying to formulate in our own mind.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean I'm not against it, but we need to see it as it is. Not not predict their actual ontological stuff out there so like if you check any other any book on periodization or say strength training you, you can define you can you can find all these different classifications out there using like acc- uh, uh, acceleration strength relative strength maximum strength explosive strength like what is it like how do you define those yeah. like is it upper body lower body you know how do they uh, how do they say um connect with each other and I think one of the mo uh, the first book books and works scientific works. I think I quoted it in in the, in in a book uh, by was like Fleischman or so- someone like that Fleischman or, or, or like uh, what he did with the military um, recruits. They tested around fifty uh, motor tests, so like you know number of pull ups, number of push ups, you know fifteen hundred meter sprint, blah 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 blah, like. I think 50 uh, motorical tests and then you put the results of those motorical tests into factor analysis, which is a latent variable modeling. You try to, you try to minimize number of variables and see like which test correlates with other tests and doesn't correlate with other, other tests. And then you get the, this hierarchy of qualities. And then you can say, okay, we have endurance, then we have strength, we have uh, muscle endurance and all this stuff. And I, I, what I'm saying, this is quite similar to the IQ, like the literature about the IQ. So you can have like a verbal intelligence, you have, you know, mathematical intelligence, you have visual mm. intelligence, all this stuff. Mm. And, you know, we are trying to explain this complex stuff with, you know, with smaller number of buckets. And some of these buckets are not real. They are, they are flukes from the analysis. So there are a few models of, of IQ actually saying this uh, similar stuff and then you know depending on the strata in in, by strata i mean like the level of athletes so for example if you test the kids with, with with these 30 tests you might get one factor because you might get physically fit kid or like someone who's biologically more advanced older and then as you as you as you slide into high level athletes all these factors might be completely uncorrelated so for example if you have a kid who's really good at number of push-ups in, say, you know, one minute, he's, he's probably going to be good at, uh, at the number of squats in one minute. So that's a kid. So if you slide further forward, like, to, to elite performers, these two abilities will be more differentiated. Yeah. So, like... Uh, hopefully I I, like I would love to research this stuff and like dig a little bit deeper into 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 this because we we just accept it as as it is like uh, there are motor abilities and you know that's it but we never kind of scratch the surface of you know how do we actually define them like are are they really out there or are are they just like um, also heuristics like um, shortcuts mental shortcuts and more, I more, still...
0: more, more than likely, they are. They are the latter. They they probably are just heuristic shortcuts. But you're saying there you, you'd like to research it. Fuck that. That won't make us millions, Maladin. That's not gonna. That's not
1: gonna get us the women and the cars. Man, that, that's what they told me. If if I if I predict the injuries <laughs> 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 with the models, I'll I'll, I'll make uh, I'll make millions. So
0: hey, baby, your chance of doing your ACL is uh, one in ten thousand.
1: <laughs> oh, which brings me to to this idea. It's quite quite similar with. Um, large versus small model is that once you get those estimates like say like from your historical training load I get this say probability or likelihood of you suffering a hamstring injuries in seven days being 80% and then you know I, I in, in one in one paper actually that I wrote it's a blog post um, I mentioned I call it the uh, actually it's called the uh look Luke, lucas critique but i called it the minority report paradox because if if you know the future it's going to affect you how you behave and how you be- behave is going to affect the parameters of the model mm. it's like a really one fucked up matrix so you cannot just take those you know numbers you know what how does telling me uh, actually how does me telling you about the injury probability affects the injury probability It's like yeah. the model yeah. doesn't pick that up so that's, again, that's one of the, that's a small world, but you need to deploy that small world into a large world. And there are, you know, unintended consequences of applying the, the you know, simplistic model to a complex reality.
0: Yeah. So you, you kind of use a small or lar- large world analogy as a sort, of, um, is a sort of, as an introduction then into your endurance map. So do you want to maybe just go over the endurance map, what it is, what's it cover, and how do you use it?
1: So it's just a rough map of uh, say like a, if you want to have a rough map of the London uh, subway, you know, if you, if you, if you try to f- find a really, really geometrically correct one it's going to be like a bowl of spaghetti thrown against the mm-hmm. wall. But then people figure out, you know, you can use a, uh, you know, straight lines and, you know, things like that and simplify it. So endurance map is just like a big, big, rough map of the terrain. Mm-hmm. It's not really precise. But it gives you some idea, you know, it, it helps to orient yourself mm. in terms of, you know, what's where, what's the approximate relationship between different thresholds and stuff that that, that that's being used as a construct in sports science.
0: Yeah, it gives, gives us the starting point.
1: I uh, would say like for, for HRT conditioning, I'm, I'm using a MAS, maximum aerobic speed and maximum sprinting speed. But then you might be interested, okay, but what's, what's the relationship between these two with... Say a critical velocity yeah. um, or like the threshold, um, you know, to, which, to what zones can I use heart rate to actually prescribe? Like, you know, you can use heart rate below 90% of MAS or 80% of MAS, over that is useless, pretty much, to prescribe the work intervals. Uh, same thing for, say, Martin Boucher 3015 test. Like, how does it relate to MAS and maximum sprinting speed? Mm. So it's it just like a rough, rough outline of all the stuff that's being um, mentioned in all the endurance books.
0: Can you explain a little more what is maximum sprint speed, maximum aerobic speed, and then this concept of the anaerobic speed reserve?
1: So this is the... I, this is the old idea um there are you know giants before me, and I just took the idea kind of trying to tweak it and make it easier to kind of understand and calculate all this stuff. so again, these are the constructs that uh that we are using to prescribe training. actually, sometimes we are using it to predict performance and and to test say m a s in this max maximum aerobic speed. It's usually referred to minimal velocity at uh, VO2 max. So, uh, if you continue running at that velocity, you're gonna eventually gonna reach uh, VO2. So that's like what's the least, what's the slowest velocity that that when you run for a prolonged period of time, you're gonna reach VO2 max. Something like that. Mm. So, and that that velocity can be estimated with you know multiple. Um, tests so it could be a laboratory tests like um graded exercise testing uh it could be say 5 minute to 6 minute uh, time trial 1500 1200 uh time trials and so forth again it's going to be variations between you know uh how precise test estimate MAS but again comes back to uh satisficing is that i as a coach i don't really need to be really precise and you know, back down with you know stages like how long the stage should last. Should I start at eight kilometers an hour, ten kilometers an hour? Like, is it better to test time trial or yo-yo or things like that? So, I like the satisfying idea of you know what's what's the what's the number or what's the construct I can use to actually help me individualize, and that's a topic on itself. Mm. Help me individualize work mm. intervals for a, for a large amount of large amount of athletes so especially if you're working as an s in team sports you need to kind of organize them um, and try not to be try to be less wrong rather than being really precise yeah. with with the estimation so it's quite similar to one RM so if you use one RM to prescribe you know training uh, program uh, you can approach one RM as as a performance test or and you can you can approach it as something that I can use to prescribe training. So rather than you know being obsessed with one RM, uh, you just use it to kind of help you in prescribing a training phase. So that's like a satisfying idea. And then you kind of use it, and through iterations you kind of adapt it, and with your intuition and you know feedback and all this stuff you kind of tweak it. But you use it as a as something that you can you can anchor your Intensities and velocities against, so that that's MAS. Pretty much is like, what's what's maximum aerobic speed? It's Like like a, a given threshold that you can use to prescribe training, and maximum speed. Sprint, your,
0: your your favorite way of estimating is the uh, is the shuttle run bleep test, and you um, and you, you said that yo-yo is no use.
1: Yeah, there there's research behind yo-yo, and there are a few ways you can use yo-yo. So one is to actually use the velocity reach at the last stage. Yeah or you can use um, a calibrated uh, uh, yo-yo from, from research. So calibrated means I plot like scatter plot of the yo-yo score could be distance or could be velocity mm. against another test. Uh, for example, MAS or uh, uh, V, VO2 max. And you get, that, you know, based on on regression, you can get some calibrated, calibrated function that helps to predict. But even with the calibrated function, the velocity, you know, it's a lot of noise uh, or residual. Um, so pretty much, you know, in, in plain English is like if you use that that velocity of the yo-yo velocity, you cannot predict MAS. And in, in, in other words, you cannot use velocity from yo-yo to prescribe um, prescribe HAT drills. Mm. It's still outstanding test but for different purpose. So as as a coach, I kind of think like, what can I use? Like, I want to minimize amount of testing. First of all, I don't want to bother athletes with with shitload of testing. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to like, what's the least amount of testing that gives me something that I can actually use to help me prescribe and it can also help me describe and, and compare athletes and track over time. But I want to have something that I can actually use to help me in prescription. So but when it comes to test of choice, I provided a few options. Yeah. Uh, there are pros and cons again. And, you know, there's variations like in, in terms of what they are estimating and, you know, what other different factors are contributing to the score. Um, and I suggested they're like my, my, if I choose one test, that will be Martin Boucher, 3015 test. Uh, but again, with that, with that test, you also need to kind of calibrate it a little bit. Mm. Um, and the, the second one will be the, the beep test, but the corrected beep test I, I kind of provided. Yeah. So cor- corrected beep test means that, you know, you kind of adjust for change of direction. So beep test in shuttle runs. So for example, if you have same beep, beeps, so same beeps um, when you run, at say, 14 kilometers an hour, you can calculate, you know, how many seconds it takes for you to run 20 meters. So <laughs> you calculate that. So, for example, you can run that in a straight line, go around the pitch, or around the track. So every 20, 20 meters, you you have a you have a cone and you have a beep, and it gives you a, a pace. But if you try to do that same test in a shuttle run, in a shuttle run arrangement, mm. you're probably gonna reach lower velocity, or you're gonna reach lower uh, result because you had to stop and reaccelerate. Yeah. So. At the time when I wrote it, there were no beep tests that, that, that has been adjusted for a change of direction. And by adjusting, again, this is also a small role thing is like usually the rule of thumb, the heuristic is 0.7 second per change of direction. But then again, like that's usually for soccer athletes. So if you have a, a bigger NFL guy or basketball player, or if you're running on a grass on a cleats, all this stuff comes from a large role, and you try to represent it with a you know with a simple number. So again, I'm I'm using 0.7. I think Martin Boucher research showed that on average, on average, athlete athletes in his strata lose around 0.7 seconds per change of direction.
2: Mm. So
1: I built up a, a, a beep test. Actually, a you know I built a um, beep test generator, so you can actually make your own beep test uh, that uses 0.7. Uh, seconds per change of direction. So then you can use up. It it, it makes taste a little bit more specific in terms of like because we need to start and stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and again, I'm not trying to be really precise. Like, what's the VO two max or what's the velocity at VO two max? I'm just trying to okay be precise enough, and and have a meaningful number that I can use to you know for different objectives. Like one is to track changes. And, and I think the most important one is to help me prescribe.
0: Just here on, on page 29, I just want to ask about this concept of running a sensitivity analysis. So you're basically saying, in plain English, for a given distance, example 300 meters for a given athlete, with his MAS and maximum sprint speed values, we can check which variable, which variable improvement, either MAS or maximum sprint speed, will yield more improvement in times for distance. So can you maybe explain like how, how 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 do we get that from running a sensitivity analysis? You know, okay, if we improve this guy's maximum sprint or his MAS, the time So
1: the, there, there, I would say two points to the answer. The first one is to understand that um, the model that the maximum aerobic speed and maximum sprinting speed, the, it's called the anaerobic speed reserve. Yeah. So what we can what we can do with that model and. and Quite nicely is that we can predict um, for a given running time what what what's going to be an average percentage of anaerobic speed reserve. So um, and that's really interesting model because you know for example I know that at certain percentage of anaerobic speed reserve you can run for a certain time limit after that you're going to crash. Yeah, that's like an average, and then using that, using that uh, model and mathematics, you can, you can predict the time over a given distance. Okay. So if you, if you have maximum sprinting speed known and maximum aerobic speed, you can predict with with certain level of precision, what's going to be a flying time for say 300 meters. Mm. So there's a a big body of research and actually really good research uh, by Peter Veand and uh, his, his crew. And this is really nice, nice model, because um, not sure how, how big is the error of that predi- prediction, but it's, it's pretty good, actually. It's pretty good. So it means that if, if I know your, or individuals, maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed, I'll be able to predict the flying, say, uh, everything below, I think, 140 seconds, if I remember correctly, something like that, or 200 seconds. So I'll be able to predict the time on a, on a distance. So now I have two parameters. So I have maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed and say a a distance of choice. So let's, in that example was 300 meters. Mm. So if I know maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed, I can predict time at 300 meters. So the next question is like, okay, if I keep one parameter stable and then I change another parameter in this case, if I, if I keep maximum aerobic speed same, and then I change maximum sprinting speed, how that's going to affect time over 300 meters. So, and then I do that for another parameter. And then I get get this idea of the sensitivity. So, it kind of helps me answer. Again, this is a small world model because there's a lot of stuff involved in, 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 you know, intervention and changes. So, it, it gives me a hypothetical small world model that helps me answer, like, if I improve, like, where, like, trying to find the right word, what's the, improving what variable or parameter of the model will give me the biggest bang for the buck.
0: Yeah. R- return on investment.
1: And then that doesn't mean that that's the, e- the most easiest. So you can, uh, from, from that graph, you can see that it's uh, improving ma- maximum sprinting speed, but improving maximum sprinting speed from your larger world knowledge uh, means that it's much harder to improve maximum sprinting speed than maximum aerobic speed. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this is just like a one source of of knowledge when, when you decide where you should try to focus your training. So these are all small models of, of, of a complex stuff you need to kind of implement and see, you know, where it takes you.
0: So for maximum aerobic speed, uh, you know, you can do a five to six minute run. You could use the, the modified bleep. You could use uh, ITF. So there's a few there's a few models of uh you can use a 1200 up to a, even a 2000 meter time trial there's a few different ways of uh, getting it in terms of estimating the maximum sprinting speed what what are your favorite models or favorite ways of trying to understand someone's maximum sprint speed
1: Ma- maximum sprinting speed yeah uh um, i mean it's it's the flying uh, sprint with uh, timing gates so there's you know nothing better than that so you can use that um, or there there are different ways you can actually, uh, estimate it. Um, so if, if you know maximum, I provide a few formulas. So if you, if you remember previously, I said like, if, if I know your maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed, I can predict time on a distance Yeah. for a flying, so flying 80 meters, I can predict with certain level of precision. That's a flying, uh, flying 80 meters. So. If that works, it needs to work backwards also. So if, if I know the MAS and if I know you're flying 80 meters, if I put put that in a formula, that that's gonna predict MA, uh, maximum sprinting speed as well. So it works both ways. And again, this is under the assumptions of the model, given model and assumptions of the model.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: but the best one is to you know get the athletes you know running, flying 10 meters. So maybe over 40 to 60 meters, and then take the last. Um, ten meters split as a as a fastest velocity, and uh, there are different. Like I I, I call this um, um, um embedded testing. So if you have GPS, yeah, and you know they keep playing and they they keep you know practicing and you keep tracking the GPS, you can you can probably make a rolling search through last two months of training or last one month of training to try to find the the fastest two second period and then you can use that as a as a proxy to maximum sprinting speed because maybe in those two months someone actually manifested maximum sprinting speed Mm. if that makes sense Mm. so it's not a test it's embedded testing you're trying to kind of you know squeeze out the information from you know from the actual practice without actually making them um testing Testing. so again I, i wouldn't use this number but i would love to keep track of that number over time to see you know what's what's happening so it's uh it's not the potential it's what's being manifested through through practice but it can also give you idea if someone is you know increasing the manifestation of the potential so So
0: a a common question that a lot of people ask when it comes to any type of hit train is the use of heart rate for recovery and uh it's fun, yeah, you, you wrote a very funny little section here in page 31. And you're like, uh, "What about heart rate?" You might ask. Completely useless in hit in, in hip prescription, and you, you quote uh, Martin uh, Boucher and, and Lawrence here in this. But uh, I love the last sentence in this. You were like, "Like I'm going to give 30 soccer athletes the option to decide when to start their next interval in your dreams, buddy." <laughs> so yeah, can, exactly. can you can you maybe explain why heart rate recovery or some sort of prescription to a percentage of max heart rate is is no use?
1: Of, uh, there's a big body of research also I think Martin Boucher in, in the new book uh, also mentioned it and in the, the, the um, HIT puzzles I think this article series which is outstanding article series yeah, like, yeah. first of all I've been highly influenced by his stuff like highly um, so yeah there, there's no there's no connection between heart rate recovery and ability to perform a next interval so something like that so um, i don't know why like coaches still use that stuff like just to look scientific i think um, it could be applied to some some maybe some modalities uh but I, I like there's no resemblance of heart rate recovery which are actually recovery status so again small world how do we measure recovery status mm. that makes sense so, like how did you measure if some, someone's recovered like we need to represent the complex stuff with, with us, with a number. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: and yeah. then I, um, I, I, I think I referenced Martin Boucher work on, on, on that particular He
0: did. He did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. So
1: yeah. And then and, and, like, that's one of the, like one side from physiology, like it's useless pretty much. And then practically speaking, if you have like 30 athletes and then everybody starts at a different time, it's going to be a fucking chaos like you you're not able to control yeah like, exactly i'm not a control freak but like if you have 30 spoiled millionaires aka soccer athletes you know they're they trying to cut corners
0: yeah because like is that, that's is a disaster in a group And that, that brings us to my next question too of you know using time versus distance and you were kind of saying you know time you can use it but a disaster in the group really it's it's not as it's not as uh clean like if you just use distance when you're applying some hit models no, it's,
1: it's it's vice versa it's better to use time
0: oh sorry i mean time yeah yeah. yeah sorry, sorry, sorry. That's I mean,
1: imagine imagine having like 20 uh i'll sorry, give you God. one example like 20 20, 20, 20 uh, recreational athletes and you want to give them say a, a circuit um say you know 20 push-ups 40 squats you know 10 pull-ups
2: Mm, mm.
1: and then the fastest one will finish quick and just sit there and wait yeah, and yeah. then you need to wait for the slowest guy to finish Yeah, it'd be a disaster it's a disaster but if you say okay we, we're gonna do push-ups for 30 seconds 30 on, 30, off, yeah. 30 30 30 30, 30. Uh, from organizational perspective it's much much better because everybody starts and stop at the same time you can control so it's it's easier from you know you know practical administration aspect because everybody's going to start at the same time, um, probably same same uh, position. You'll be able to control to see who's cutting corners. So it's like f- from that perspective, it's it's more useful. Yeah,
0: time, yeah. So yeah, I had a brain fart there. Yeah, I meant time. Time is better with groups. Yeah, distance. But do,
1: do you do you ever use distance then with
0: individuals? If you're prescribing with an individual,
1: um, uh, yeah, why not? Like I'm not against it. So it's just you know from you know in a group.
0: Yeah, totally. settings
1: it's not really useful can uh it, it, for example if you have a set distance for say 400 meters and then you know you want everybody to run 400 meters then you can use uh you can use distance but then you are not acknowledge that not everybody's gonna have same work to rest ratio
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: and then also like from a running uh world you know they they they, they brag with the distance. Right? Like mm. weekly distance. Like I run 100 kilometers this week. Like I run 120. I, like, I run 70 kilometers. And then, <clears throat> so for a really fast runner, running 70 kilometers is going to be lower amount of stress than for a slower runner. Why? Right. Because it takes less time. Yeah. So, so time, it's, it's better as, as, a, as a proxy to, to load or stress than distance. Because it takes into account the uh, the individual differences.
0: Yeah, so yeah, you, 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 you talk about you talk about this on page fifty-eight where you say using time or distance, and you give that example. So you do. So okay. yeah,
1: like if, if you're coaching a distance runner, yeah, uh, you know people use distance, but but I think that time will be will be a better better. I, I would use both. It's quite similar to that subjective or fixed thresholds things mm-hmm. like that. But i would use both time and, and distance because if you say okay what's what's the time you've been running over say over like the threshold
0: yeah
1: and then if you improve your like threshold you want to see you know what's happening with that time and all this stuff but for example if if you're if you're only measuring distance if you improve velocity at like the threshold you're going to cover bigger distance for the same amount of uh, time yeah so you kind of need to juggle with with both so again, small world models. Yeah. I don't know which one is, is better. So I like to have a pluralistic view and try to, you know, represent things differently with different models.
0: Mm. Again, just for the listeners and for my own sanity, time is better to use a groups. Yep. I, I, I had a brain fart there I meant, I meant I'm, in my head I thought I said time but it's kind of like when you say when you got a mate and his name's John and you call him Jack and in your head oh, yeah, no is, in your head you said John he's like uh, I'm John you're like, that's what I said he goes no you said Jack can't pass. Yeah, <laughs> so t- time, time is what you want to use with groups because it's just it's, yeah. it's, so you, it's, you want to, you want to
1: prescribe time. say we're going to run 15 seconds 15 minutes oh, yeah, yeah. Like, rather like, than we're going to run uh, 200 meters and then you're going to rest for yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would variable for every athlete
0: uh so just moving on to the hit drills here we like there's no need for us to go through, through in depth what have we got here let me see i got windows defender summary i have no viruses on my laptop oh, look at that uh i got a little thing on my screen there um so with the hit drills here i won't go through all of them because again people just get the book um but you have a buy, book the, book. <laughs> yeah, buy the book buy that book about that for a plug uh no shame um but being serious it is a phenomenal resource So do get the book. But with these hit drills, you have them broken down into long intervals, short intervals, sprint interval training, repeat uh, sprint training, and then intermittent recovery. Just uh, so, And then with the long intervals, we have them broken down into active long intervals and passive, and then they're further broken down into extensive, normal, intensive, and it's the same with the short ones. But with the short ones, you've added on tempo. And my question for you now is with tempo, okay? So we know tempo and Charlie Francis and you know, run at 70%, 75% of your, you know, your maximum 100-meter sprint. Um, But you brought in this sort of next dimension to it. And to be honest, uh, I don't fully fucking understand the whole concept here because I'm just dumb. But you, so, you know, for me, right, if I read someone like James Smith's work, and he always talks about, you know, high-low and his whole concept with Alactic Aerobic Sports is, you know, up there their fucking maximum sprint speed up their alactic threshold so that everything at a so basically you're you're maximizing their maximal output so that their operational outputs are more submaximal and his whole thing is like well if you if you increase someone's maximum velocity everything below that is going to be more submaximal but then what you did nicely here was you're like yeah that's true No, you didn't state this really but just shown by your examples you're like yeah that's true that someone's maximum sprint speed could improve and get faster but they could have a worse maximum aerobic speed which then impacts on their uh, anaerobic speed reserve, if I'm correct in saying this. And you have all these equations and to kind of equalize these um, differences between athletes. So just for, for me uh, and for the listeners, can you explain this concept then? We, so we're taking Charlie Francis' tempo model, but you don't just look at someone's 100-meter sprint time and say, right, 70-75% that you're also looking at the, this athlete's maximum aerobic speed and how that's impacting on their anaerobic speed reserve. So can you explain this?
1: Yeah, both. Both of that, those are, are small world uh, models. And what, <laughs> what, yeah, what we're trying to do is to kind of make, make equal playing field for everyone. And that, yeah. again, that's a pipe dream. And I mentioned social justice warriors inside the book as well.
0: Milad, uh, uh, just for you to go on, <laughs> is this something that came to your mind or did you see this somewhere else before? Because I never heard... Like, because when I read this, I was like, "Oh, this is actually a completely new spin on this." Like, I never seen someone say, "Okay, we're also going to consider maximum aerobic speed here and how that impacts the anaerobic speed reserve." Uh, I'm
1: trying to figure out what exactly what are you referring to, uh, but the the thing is, like, if you want to do tempo, uh, you want to prescribe time for us, you know, a certain distance, and yeah. usually, usually use around sixty-five, seventy percent of uh of uh average velocity over that distance. So the idea is to put everyone on an equal playing field in terms of 70%. But if, if you look a little bit more deeper, again, small world problem,
0: yeah.
1: uh, you, you can check that, you know, that, that way of individualizing uh, from a perspective of an, an aerobic speed reserve model. I'm not saying this is one is better or the other. It's just different pluralistic view of the complexities. Yeah. So from a, uh, an aerobic speed reserve model, this type of creating equal playing field, like using seventy percent of uh, of the average velocity, doesn't create equal playing field using a different model. In this case, an aerobic speed reserve, because with that one you do need to take into account uh, maximum sprinting speed and uh, aerobic uh, maximum aerobic speed. Yeah, yeah. Say it correctly, maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed. speed yeah. So these are two models of, you know, trying to understand, you know, how should I individualize tempo work? Like, you know, there are two models. So I'm pluralist. Like I want to have two different models. I'm not saying one is better or the other, maybe, but from from an aerobic speed reserve perspective, we do need to take into account uh, the maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed. So one example I gave, I think, for five athletes, so, you, you can have athletes that, that have a same um, same time over 100 meters. So, if you prescribe 70% of that time, actually multiply by 70, well, let me see, divide by 0.7, yeah. uh, you're going to get the tempo speed. But if you put that time into an aerobic speed um, model, an aerobic speed reserve model, you're going to have that they are running a different percentage of that anaerobic speed reserve. So you kind of equalize it using 70%, but you create unbalance in using another another model. So it's like all this individualization is really, really tricky because, you know, mm. with one model, things going to be like equal playing field in quotation mark. But if you, if you look at it from a different model perspective, it's not going to be equal playing field. Uh, um, field so i'm trying to give you another example that could be a little bit more easier to to comprehend um damn it's it's a it's a bit tricky uh, it,
0: it, it is tricky and honestly people would need that the book maybe in front of because it was just because again for me if anyone had mentioned tempo runs i'd be like yeah you just take 70 75 percent of your you know of your average velocity over a certain distance usually it's 100 meter sprint people use and you take 75 percent of that, you know, the old Charlie Francis model type thing. But then when I saw in your examples here that, yeah, that that is that is the model, but it doesn't take into consideration maximum aerobic speed and how that would give different anaerobic speed. Like, so the athletes are working at different anaerobic speed reserves. Then, if you just purely went off seventy percent of one hundred meter and didn't consider their maximum aerobic speed as well,
1: yeah. So the idea, like the idea, the small world idea of the adaptation. Is this idea, and I mentioned it in a few paragraphs there is that we do believe that if people are working on the same percent of their maximum potential, we are individualizing so for example yes in in, in strength training you're using percent of one r m so if if you're doing five sets of five at seventy five percent and I have a bunch of group like people with with you know eighty kilos bench press or one hundred sixty kilos bench press, we are assuming that we created equal playing field yeah. By using percentage of their maximum potential. Yes, so yes. That, that's the the small world idea that that I mentioned before. So this yeah. is like idea that this is gonna cause similar stimuli to a whole group, but that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bullshit. It's it's better than uh, than using absolute weights, but it's still not ideal individualization. And yes. I'm not sure we can ever individualize because maybe you know then you put another stuff inside. So maybe you know. You do need to take into account his body weight, maybe his gender, uh, you know, sleep, like all this stuff. Like, you you know, you you can never, ever create equal playing field. You know, what the fuck is equal playing field? Like we believe in this, you know, magic world of everything is equal, but it's never like you try to equalize it with one model. You're going to create shit with different model. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, for example, uh, I'll give you an example. So for my PhD testing, we tested one RM on two days, um, you know, with 72 hours or more, or 96 hours of rest. So anyway, I tested one RM and then I tested reps to failure with 90% and 80%. Mm. So we had athletes doing uh, with 90%. You now people doing two or three reps and we have a guy doing 10 reps.
0: Yeah,
1: And the same guy with 80% of one RM has done 20 reps and people are doing like seven or eight or 10, but he did 20. So if I say like he's doing it, like if he's in a group where we say, okay, I'm, I'm individualizing, I'm creating equal playing field because everybody's doing 80%. Yeah. Maybe that's not the best stimuli for him. Yes. Yes. So maybe when I put another stuff, for example, you know, what's his maybe percent of, uh, Twenty reps or something like that. Then, then I can create, like, I can create different equal playing field with different models. That that's the that's the whole idea.
0: Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I get you. I get you. It's just that. And is that a concept that you came up with? Like, did you say, like, you like, you know, we need to actually consider maximum aerobic speed here for for tempo room
1: prescription? Well man, to be honest, I discovered it while writing. So I was like, I, that's the good thing with writing. That's why I like writing because I'm I'm discovering as I'm writing. I'm I'm not just you know copy pasting from my head. I try to write, and then I say, "Okay, let's." Because you are seeing the end result, and there's a lot of dead end, uh, dead ends in in the writing, like different versions, and then I selected the one that's the best. So I try to say, I try different stuff there, like you know, I I played with Excel. Like, okay, I was like, okay, so if everybody's running seventy percent of, say, time on one hundred meter. Are they actually running at the same percent of anaerobic speed reserve? So I try to test it. I, you know, I calculate it, and I yeah. say, oh, "Fuck, they are not." They
0: are not. So,
1: yeah. and from from anaerobic speed model perspective, it means they are not running. It means they are not running at the same percent of potential. So yeah. I'm not creating equal playing field. So again, I'm, I'm pluralist. So I'm 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 not saying that one is better than the other. I know. I know. I'm trying to say that just because we created equal playing field like people you you know performing at a certain percent of their potential doesn't necessarily mean they're actually uh, performing this or they're gonna receive the same stimuli or something like that it's still a helpful thing to consider but we are far away from at the end of the day we are experimenting we are you know we don't know what's gonna happen so even even if you use you know you know both methods like which one is better like and and so forth so that and, and brings me back to this idea of satisficing what's the good enough practice that's good enough like doesn't need to be really precise because you know god knows how many variables you need to consider to 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 make things really precise mm-hmm. so you know i i will still use seventy percent or sixty percent or something like that to to prescribe so it comes no, back it, to what's practically practically meaningful
0: yeah it's just because uh, i when i read this section of the book on tempo i'd never seen any of this information before so i was like like is this purely original because if it is it's excellent like it really like it really has changed my mind on tempo prescription you know and, and i still don't the claim to fully understand all the different examples you gave here so it's something I, I need to obviously read read into more and probably ask you some more questions on. and,
1: and then you also need to take into account that's one rep that's like <laughs> that prescription is one rep. Yeah, yeah. So maybe someone with uh it's called inter recovery, like inter, inter interval recovery or between interval recovery. Yeah. Maybe that's not picked up with maximum aerobic speed or things like that. So even if you prescribe people doing seventy percent, some people might still struggle and finish, finish with you know nausea because they struggle with recovering between the intervals. So you. Like that's a small world again. Small world problem. You need to yeah, be, yeah. deploy into a large world where things are. You know, you are doing it over multiple intervals. You know, things like that. So,
0: just a question for you too, for me, because uh, I'm when it comes to things like maths, I'm fucking brutal. Is there any way we can predict? Like, c- can can we estimate someone's one hundred meter sprint without actually testing it? Like, can we can we estimate that from just a flying ten? Like so if we know someone's flying ten can we can we make an estimate of what they might run a hundred meters in
1: uh to be honest I don't know um i think there's there's a there's a
0: or even a forty time yeah uh,
1: from forty uh th- there's a study or research by uh, peter wyan group um some of his associates they i think they they they, they tested model yeah maximum they, they tested like um, again, we, we always talk about maximum speed and acceleration, but what they showed is that people with a better acceleration is gonna have better speed, so they are same same stuff. So uh, apparently if you if you know decrements on smaller you know, like smaller distances, you can predict you know longer distance times. but again, then the question is, are the errors mean like are the errors smaller than the the, the, the practically meaningful difference? Yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. So and speaking of that, um we actually finish a paper. I'm trying to put in a preprint, actually discuss about you know all these statistical methods, but I'm trying to take this prediction perspective of you know, are the predictions within the smallest fault file difference or something like, or meaningful difference. Like how big is the error of the predictions? Yeah. So you can say, ah, the, the R square is uh, 98% and then you're like, well, fuck, that's good. But then if you dig a little bit deeper, you notice that that prediction is freaking useless because it's, it's the error, the variance is, is bigger than the, the most meaningful difference that you can consider. So, so it's it's tricky, man. It's it's tricky. So, because
0: the the reason I asked that question is like, you see so many sports coaches who've been influenced by the high low model and, and Charlie Francis, and you know it's a great model. Don't get me wrong. And they'll say, yeah, we do tempos on on the low days, and we'd go seventy percent. And it, you know, I'd be like, what? How? Like, what are you basing the seventy percent off? Like, have they done one hundred? Do you know their one hundred meter sprint time? We're like, no, we just asked to go three quarter pace. It's like. So like then, and it's just that most sports teams like would never test a 100 meter sprint with their athletes. So, but they might test like a flying 10 or a 14. I was just wondering, is there a way of estimating what they might run a 100 meter sprint? And obviously you'd have to consider too the surface that they run it on and shit. But it was yeah. just what I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, uh, but, but that's the thing with, with the anaerobic speed reserve model. So if, if you know the maximum aerobic speed and maximum sprinting speed, you can predict... Yeah, the flying one hundred meter. Like again, within
0: a certain yeah error. Model. Yeah,
1: within within error.
0: Small world, small world. And
1: so so again, if the, this error is probably not that important if you're you know planning goddamn tempo work for soccer athletes. Yeah. yeah. But if you're planning exact times for like four hundred meter runner or two hundred meter runner then you see then
0: you you, but you know you know their times and
1: you know so that that brings me to to the thing i i failed to mention before when we talk about maximum aerobic speed Mm. so if you're coaching say 1500 meters runner or 800 meter runner or 400 meter sprinter you're gonna use data from training like from from track you know from that distance so you're gonna use that to prescribe other training so you, you might say Okay, you're going to use, say, <clears throat> you're going to run uh, three times 800 at, you know, 2K pace. So using 2K pace to prescribe. But because I'm working with the soccer athletes or team sport athletes, I don't have a blood 2K pace. I need to use something to prescribe. And in this case, I can use mass, max anaerobic speed. So is it ideal? Fuck no. But it's good enough for me to prescribe training. Yeah. So th- same thing with 1RM. So sometimes you don't you don't need to test one them. I had a discussion today, and I'm I'm trying to put that into. Actually, I put it in a in a series of blog posts, and I'm trying to put that in the upcoming uh, reference manual. Selfish plug again. by the goddamn reference manual and join oh. his website. And
0: join his <laughs> website <laughs> complimentarytraining.com. <laughs> it is now. It used to be.net. Yeah. Now it's dot com.
1: Yeah, it's both. So it's both both yeah, ways. Yeah, both will bring it to it. Jim. Yeah. So uh, I'm yeah, a, the,
0: I, I'm a member. Just saying. So you know.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> You keep paying my electricity bills. Uh, so yeah. So if you use, use one RM with the soccer athletes, um, it, it, you like you can estimate it. Like you don't need to test it. You can have some estimation and I'm going to write it. I call it estimation through iteration. You can pre- like, you can assume really, co- like you can assume one RMs, um, And be really conservative and then through training like you're gonna reach you're gonna converge to actual one RM and it's is it really important to know one RM like with the soccer athletes like no like you want to make those stupid spider charts to show to a management you know yeah like from from you know protecting your own ass as a coach you want to you want to show that stuff you're doing is working but from a Pres- prescription perspective prescribing perspective you don't need to know exactly one rm like yes. there are no power lifters. so you can have something to prescribe training
0: all right so before we move on to hit planning just uh, one thing that you wrote on the um, repeated sprint ability which which I thought was good you know, uh, was this concept that um, total time is a better measure of someone's sprint repeatability uh, uh, and yeah. then, then 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 a fatigue drop off
1: so again small world large world so if if you have if you have uh, say eight sprints yeah uh, you want to kind of represent those sprints with a number so there's multiple ways to do that so there's like a Percent drop, total time, and all this stuff.
0: Yeah, like a fatigue like, index, isn't it? Like you man. Oh the, yeah, for, the
1: fatigue index is also. Six index is, and shit like that. I think there's yeah. like a ten metrics you can use. So what they did, there, there's, like, I think I referenced a paper. So what they did, they compared different metrics. Uh, and if you and if you repeat that same test on a different day, so uh, you wanna you wanna make sure that the test is reliable, so it's repeatable, so it is it, testing the same stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. So.
1: What they showed is that most, if not all repeat sprint ability metrics are shit from a reliability (laughs) perspective. So
0: shit.
1: Yeah. Coefficient of variation as one of the estimate of reliability is around, I think 30% for, for most repeat sprint ability metrics. That's
0: pretty shit. So so it means like,
1: like analogy is like one day you step on a scale, it's 100 kilos. Then next day you step, it's one hundred thirty kilos,
0: yeah, it and the a lot of the
1: sixty kilos, and then you're like, "Oh, we are testing repeat sprint ability." Would, no. would,
0: would it be great if you could actually submit a, a scientific paper with that in it? Uh, yeah. In conclusion, <laughs> this is shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there's a. I think I referenced a paper uh, that you. actually tested tested those uh, repeat sprint ability metrics. So the best one, the the the, the most reliable one and the most useful one. Uh, is total time. Yeah,
0: yeah. So
1: you can have athlete who has really shitty sprint performance, but is consistent across sprints. So he's gonna have really really small fatigue you know, drop drop off, yeah. whatever. But the total time is gonna be shit. Shit. So you yeah. can have someone who's really fast and, and and um
0: bigger fatigue drop off. Bigger fatigue time
1: but better. at the end like his slowest sprint might be better than the fastest sprint of the you know slow guy. So so that's why the total time is 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 better. But still, total time is has really still shitty reliability. It's still the best reliability, uh, I think. If memory serves me well. But it's still it's still a, a, a useless metric.
0: All right. So let's get into the shit you love to talk about, where you lose a lot of fucking people. Are like this, Mladen, That's fucking nuts. He's talking about economy and weather and complex systems. Uh, Get into uncertainty and heuristics. We're, we're, so we've moved into uh, hit planning now. So, you know, this is where you start touching on having heuristics, you know, uh, that we need to get to a situation where we're, we need to be okay with uncertainty. And uncertainty is just, it's all part of the fucking puzzle. And then from there, we'll get into um, get into uh, asking these questions. So on what was it, page 118, planning and performance domain revolves around answering the following three questions. What should be done? When does it need to be done? And how do we minimize the risks of it being wrong? And then we can talk about then as well. We can talk then too about uh, the three types of analysis, phenomenological analysis, uh, mechanistic Mechanistic, and uh, physiological analysis. So get into heuristics and (laughs) uncertainties. Uh, Three questions there. That revolve around planning and performance domains. So again, I'll just repeat them: what should be done when, or what 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 does it need? What does it need to be done? When? Sorry, what should be done? When does it need to be done? And how do we minimise the downside? And then the measurement and analysis. Yeah, ph- 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 uh, people have problem with that. Uh, <laughs> phenomenology phenomenological well, yeah yeah phenomenological mechanistic and physiological analysis
1: so you got those so the the first thing that that um, i think there's multiple questions man there heuristics and your,
0: uh, your risk, your risk on uncertainty was the first thing i asked.
1: so yeah um like we, we mentioned in a, in a tempo prescription and the one rm right so we assume that if if we create equal playing field um, people performing at a certain percentage of their potential we're going to have the same stimuli. So, you know, using 75% of 1RM for 5 for a whole group, we assume it's going to have a similar or same stimuli for whole group. Right? Mm -hmm. But, and then we follow those nice, you know, Russian charts, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, we do need to realize that we are experimenting. We never know.
0: Perlipin's turning in his grave right now.
1: Yeah. So, uh, we don't know how things gonna evolve. You know, even causality is, is tricky. Like we have really simplistic models of causality. So one, there, there are a few graphs that I mentioned there. So imagine usually we have three factors, uh, or constructs explaining performance. So, for example, um, let's take the anaerobic speed reserve model. I already mentioned that you know, using maximum aerobic speed and maximum sprinting speed, we can predict the performance uh, for over given distance, and that distance needs to be less than two hundred seconds or something like that. So then, the the immediate assumption that comes to your brain is that maximum sprinting speed and maximum aerobic speed are the um, say the they're they're causing the performance and it's actually vice versa it's the performance causing those constructs so then you can say okay okay if I I need to have a training that's directed at maximum sprinting speed and then I have a a training that's directed at maximum aerobic speed so we make these simplistic assumptions of causality so if I improve maximum aerobic speed the the performance is going to improve so it's and also if you, if you check any, any uh, running book, endurance running book, you have different factors affecting performance. So you have VO2 max, you have uh, anaerobic threshold, you have running economy. So these three. And then you have systems that, 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 that have uh, training components that de- try to hit those constructs. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's, it's a small role model. But, for example, even for, like mentioned before, like a, even if everybody's doing, say, 75% for five, three sets of five in a in a squat, you know, you're going to have different responses. And at the end of the day, just because you're following some, you know, Russian periodization, you're, at the end of the day, you're still experimenting. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do with the, with the agile periodization is actually acknowledging that we are experimenting. At the end of the day, you're experimenting because you never know, You know what's causing what? We still don't know. Like we we have some ideas, but we still don't know what's causing what. And under you know, it's really really complex. So at the end of the day, we try to experiment. And agile prioritization is just acknowledging that we are experimenting, rather than than following some you know Russian prioritization model, uh, which again it's it's a it's a assumption of predict predictability or like. um, I'm trying to find the right English word. Um, yeah, we, we just assume that just because it's a, it's a written by someone else, it's you know it's going to be predictable what's going to happen, but it's not. So with the agile prioritization, I'm trying to create a framework where you, you can actually experiment using ideas by decision-making and uncertainty. So mostly ideas from Nassim Taleb and uh, Gergi Grenzer and all these other other giants. Uh, so what was the, the, the next question? So uh, you touched on
0: the con- uh, your concept of agile periodization, which is using heuristics and this concept of uncertainties. Then you, it's kind of like, so that was kind of like the overview. Then you were saying when it comes to planning in the performance domain, it revolves around answering the following three questions. What should be done? When does it need to be done? And what do we, how do we minimize the risks of being wrong? so it's basically the heuristics you use. and so on page 119 it's, it's what needs to be done and you know you you basically yep. you know you 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 know you basically quote this uh concept of qualities from um, Robert Piersick's book the zen zen and the art of <coughs> motorcycle making, motor motorcycle motor cycle maintenance which is a book i have uh so you you basically talk about like how, how do we know what assets to focus on um, when when uh, with the first question what needs to be done
1: so, yeah, imagine you're working with a, with a runner, like 800 runner, 800 meter runner, and you need to decide you know, where, where should you invest training, energy and time to, yeah. to, to improve his performance. And it's a tricky question. Like you, 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 can, you, you need to figure out what are the qualities that are under, say under, yeah, that under are underpinning, or underpinning his performance. Yeah. So you can you can. I mentioned there are multiple levels of analysis. So you can use physiological models, saying, okay, it's it's the like its maximum sprinting speed is is his aerobic speed, is his anaerobic reserve, is his running economy, mm. and all this stuff. You can you can say, okay, this defines his performance. So these are the qualities or hierarchy or qualities that that you kind of juggle with in making decisions what needs to be done. So once you create those qualities. Um, Then you you need to decide, you know, how should I invest my training? Like what method hits different qualities? So that's another assumption. So we immediately assume that the training intensities associated with certain qualities improve that quality. So let me paraphrase that. So uh, if I want to improve maximum aerobic speed, training method that works at, you know, that percentage of maximum aerobic speed improves maximum aerobic speed, which is bullshit. It doesn't work that way. So we we have this you know s- simplistic reasoning that like if I hit those qualities the performance is gonna improve, and then you know from all this hierarchy of qualities you can you can create multiple prioritization frameworks. Mm. So you can say okay I'm gonna focus on one quality for like a week and then I'm gonna switch to another quality for a week and all this stuff, but at, at the same time you are actually making a bet you're 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 performing experiment.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and. For example, if, if you're experimenting in a, in, a, in a wrong way, it can cost you, because if you are wrong. So for example, you might say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend a month trying to improve his aerobic speed, and then you spend it a month. There's you know, competition, and then that strategy fails, because you know, at the end of the day, you're experimenting. So one of the ideas behind agile optimization is try to figure out what are the, the most robust strategies mm-hmm. in terms of planning, that minimize the risk of being wrong. So, okay, what, and there's a, a, a big body of research on actually decision-making and uncertainty and you know, what are the most robust methods when you don't know what you're dealing with. Um, so, what I'm trying to do with the agile priorization method is to create a, a framework where you can actually acknowledge that uh, we are experimenting, we don't know exactly what's gonna happen, mm-hmm. and we, we try to figure out, you know, answer those three questions. I think everything revolves in terms of planning around those three questions. Like what, what qualities I need to, you know, what I need to be doing Mm -hmm. when I need to be doing that and how do I minimize the risk of being wrong?
0: I don't know if you remember on our last podcast, we spoke a little bit about uh, economics and and like we spoke about um, Dalio and principles. Uh, and you know, and this concept from from economics of like asset allocation. So, like Tony Robbins speaks about it in his book "Money Master the Game." Mm-hmm. You know, so this concept of like, you know, you don't basically like the top invest, investors in the world. They're completely risk adverse. So their whole thing is like, you know, how can they maximize upside and decrease the downside? And that's what your sort of uh, agile periodization model really reminds me of. Like it just keeps screaming that economic model to me because on pages, you know, uh, 132 to 135, you did just a beautiful like uh, summary with these figures, so this figure fifty two figure fifty three and figure fifty so figure fifty two and three on page one thirty three and figure fifty five on page one thirty five and it summarizes these three heuristics, so we are saying heuristics one once it is uh minimizing the numbers of important qualities once you get that. You want to distribute as equally as possible into all of these important assets. See, I like the way you use the word assets. That's probably why it reminded me of, you know, economics and investment. And then heuristic three was once, yeah, you cover all the major qualities from heuristic one strategy, you were able to invest more in potential upside depending on the identified identified need or based on uh, logical limitations. So basically you were saying your three heuristics were, one, make it simple. uh, Two, was uh, Decrease the downside and then three was increased the upside
1: So i'll give you example with a with a power lifter versus soccer athlete and then you want to write a strength training program So first heuristic is to minimize the number of qualities or or the or the hierarchy of qualities so And lad, why, 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 just, just for the
0: listeners why, why, why would we want to do that
1: uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you immediately so uh, like if, if you work with the soccer athletes you want to use the uh, least resolution in terms of precision of the quality so um, uh, so you, it, it's, you need to decide what exercises or like how, how should I organize a strength training so then you can say okay I, I need to have like a push pull squat hinge all this stuff so it doesn't really matter what exercise you are doing with the push movement so is it, is it you know bench presses, it dumbbell bench presses, push-ups on the rings and things like that as long as you are doing push movement yeah. so that's a soccer athlete so that's like four or five qualities with with the with the powerlifter uh you're gonna classify things differently so yeah. things gonna be emerging differently so you, you want to check like Bench press, squat, and deadlift. And then you want to, you know, you go a little bit deeper and then you figure out, okay, there's a lockout strength. There's like a, a, a strength from the bottom. There's like a velocity of the movement. There's a grinding element to it. All this stuff, you know, the, the, the hierarchy of qualities will be emerging, uh, you know, before your eyes pretty much. And uh, you, there's a point where you need to actually stop in terms of, you know, how many qualities I need to identify. With the soccer athlete, probably much less than with the, with the specialist. With the specialist, you do need to go a little bit deeper. So once I once I identify, you know, forest of qualities, then I need to figure out, okay, how should I invest my training into those qualities to, first of all, to minimize the downside and get the benefits of the upside? So the first question, like risk, being risk-averse, you need to figure out, okay, how do I avoid being you know catastrophically wrong so if i say with the power lifter i'm going to focus on lockout strength only so what if that method doesn't work for that particular individual you'll be you know you'll be neglecting deadlifting. you're going to be neglecting you know you know everything every other quality because you invested you put all the eggs in one basket and that basket doesn't seem to be working so that's not the the most Effect, the most robust strategy from, you know, protecting from the downside. So the general idea is to making sure that you're covering the, the, the most important qualities all the time. So that, for example, power lifter that means squatting, deadlifting, and, and bench pressing. Well, you know, once you cover that, then you can, you can kind of experiment in terms of, okay, maybe this guy needs, uh, you know, more lockout strength in a bench press. So then you can say, okay, we are doing bench press, and then we can kind of invest more <clears throat> into, you know, something that we identify as a, as a, as a limiting factor. But I, we can always be wrong. Like in terms of, you know, maybe we have a wrong, wrong objective, and then maybe we have a wrong selection of the means and, and the loads. So maybe, you know, I fuck up something. Like maybe he doesn't respond to high frequency training. Maybe he needs like a really high volume training but if if I put all the eggs in one basket uh in trying to kind of reap only the the upside then i'm what what happens if i'm wrong like I'd be really catastrophically wrong so that's what that's one of the ideas of of the agile prioritization and the risk risk uh sorry asset allocation under risk or actually asset allocation under uncertainty
0: mm. and what other sort of uh domains did you sort of come to these concepts? Like, did you look at fields outside of, you know, sports performance? Were you looking at, you know, you know, uh, economics? Did you look at models for predicting weather? Like, you know, what sort of models, like, did you look outside of this to kind of filter this into sports performance? (coughs) Yeah, pretty
1: much that's what you said. Um, uh, The book, I think I mentioned also in the last one, uh, podcast we did is uh, Risk Savvy by Gergi Gerenzer. Ger- Ger- yeah, he
0: did. Yeah, he mentioned. Yeah, he did. So, did. yeah, that's a, that's
1: a really good book. And I think he also mentioned the, the large versus small worlds uh, idea. So, the, again, there's a difference between small world. With the small world, you can kind of figure out the best distribution that gives you the biggest bang. Mm. But it's based on all the assumptions about how the world works. So but what if you're wrong, like what's going to happen with with the model? Maybe in some scenarios we will we'll perf- perform really bad. So rather than trying to figure out what's the optimal training, let's let's figure out what's the I call it MVP, minimum viable program.
0: Yeah, I was just about to ask that, too. Cause that's kind of like the final question I had here is, you know, so to, to actually touch on that on page 138. I have it marked down here in my little sticker. Um you were saying agile periodization principle that minimizes being wrong uh, besides using the minimal viable programs and heuristics is to use ear to planning. So just that we we actually spoke with this towards the start or back towards the start of the podcast, this concept of ear ear to planning versus upfront planning. So just kind of give an overview of that for listeners. So like upfront plan is like, you know, you kind of, we gave the analogy when we were speaking about Mladen speaking about a book. If you wrote like your, you're like just everything you knew in one big masterpiece of a book, predict predicting that like everything in it will be like a fact forever, you would just put it out there and then be like, oh fuck, by the time that gets published, you're like, there's stuff in that that needs to be updated. Whereas if you did these little mini manuals all the way along, it's more easier to update your material and that's more of an uh, irritable planning. So, Mladen just touches that on page one twenty eight. I'll say it again there. He was like agile periodization principle that minimizes being wrong besides using minimal viable programs and heuristics is all, is to use ear to planning. So maybe you just want to get into that concept too, Mladen, of ear to planning Yeah, imagine
1: like you're a coach, soccer coach, and you come in a new club, and usually you're familiar with the athletes, like you're familiar with the club, with the style, and you have some idea of you know how things work. <clears throat> But imagine you know you have no clue. Like you you come inside, like you go to China. You don't know the athletes, you don't know the league. Like okay, and like on the first day you're gonna make objectives. Like we're gonna work on this. Like fuck no, I think that's a pipe dream. Hmm. Like you're gonna start with something. Like let's start with fucking playing practices. Like the MVP, like minimum viable product, minimum viable program, and then things gonna emerge as I work. Like. All this stuff like people testing athletes and they, they know exactly what to be what what needs to be done mm. it's bullshit it's like a marketing like you do need to spend some time with that athlete to actually have a, a little bit of clue what the athlete might need like but then you have some idea of you know you know what's being usually done in those scenarios like best practices yeah yeah but at the end of the day we are also guessing yeah so the idea is look to, to start with something that's simple, satisfying, good mm-hmm. enough. And then once you start into action, like you're going you're gonna to get information, like things going to manifest itself. Like I'm start, starting to sound like Jonah Peterson. Like things are going to manifest itself. You need to pick them up. So sometimes you don't even know what are the objectives. Like you, you come in a new club, new, like as a, as a soccer coach, like what you should be working on. Like you, you don't even know what are the problems. If that makes sense, right?
0: Oh, yeah, it does, yeah, yeah.
1: So you cannot just come in and come with your fucking plan. Like, we're going to play 4 4, four two, like 4-4-2, four, four, or we're going to play 4-3-3, three, three, something like that. Like, maybe I don't have athletes for that system. Like, like you need to start with something, and then, you know, you, you're going to notice things, you're going to see things. Like, for example, if you're training a powerlifter, you go like, oh, we're going to train Sheiko. Okay, okay, let's start with Sheiko or, or Westside, maybe that guy doesn't respond to that type of training. Mm. So again, I'm, I'm not against any physio, uh, philosophy or training but you need to start with something that's, okay, let's start with a basic program. Yeah. And yeah. Let, let's see how you respond to that program. Like, I don't know if you like, do you need more raw strength or do you need more equipped strength? Like how the fuck do I know? Like, let's start with something and you know, you know try to do a con- controllable experiment and then over time, you're going to you're going to you're going to know what to focus on, like maybe this guy needs more high rep work or low rep work. I, I don't know, like, but just because you put those nice periodization scheme for like a full year is just exercising futility and, and a false se- sense of security.
0: It kind of reminds me, too, of um, I heard you talk about this with Kieran and Flat, and I think we spoke about it, too, on our last podcast you know, was about Al Vermeer's, uh training model. And, you know, you look at, say, the old traditional models and they were always like, you know, well, you, you know, you do your, you know, your fucking accumulation phase, you know, hypertrophy, work capacity, and then you do your strength and then you do your power, blah, 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 blah. You know, so kind of your classic phase potentiation. Whereas Al's model was more like, he wanted to find out where an athlete was deficient and then he would just focus on that rather than be like, you have to follow this this, this perpetual cycle because it's just, we know that this is traditional periodization. Whereas he was...
1: Let's call it criteria-based prioritization. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. to focus, but he's still performing all the all the elements he he deemed the most important one.
0: Exactly, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, he yeah he trained all qualities, but he just emphasized he. Yeah, emphasized. But
1: if if you look at things from from the barbell strategy, I dimension like managing the downside and the upside, so like performing everything, he's just making sure that he's yeah. not going to be really wrong if if things fail yeah so he's still doing sprints lifting conditioning yeah yeah it's it's but, co- it's concurrent
0: it's an emphasized concurrent model or an emphasis c- complex parallel whatever you want yeah, to call yeah
1: exactly it. so what like why would you put someone through hypertrophy phase if he doesn't need hypertrophy phase exactly just because of the face potentiation like be, like like fuck <laughs> like why would you do that like and, and same thing with with the soccer athletes like i i learned the hard way like i Luckily or unluckily, in, in Europe, our preseason is quite short. It's usually like six to eight weeks in soccer. Uh, we have two times six to eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. But like this season, we had a little bit longer, maybe nine or ten weeks. So I said, like, how oh, we're going to do anatomic adaptation, and then we're going to do hypertrophy, and then I'm going to do max strength. And then in the middle, I had an athlete leaving the club to, to be borrowed to another club, but that failed, and he came back. So he missed the hypertrophy phase. And then, like, okay, how you know how that like should should he continue with the hypertrophy phase? Like, how how should I how should I put him inside the group again? So that's like really practically speaking, like how should I put individual needs into into a group training? Because I'm I'm like I I need to juggle with thirty athletes in the gym, like, mm-hmm. and if everybody's doing you know different stuff. It's gonna be impossible to like practically control and or are actually organize impo- impossible to organize. Yeah. And then you're like why do we actually need to go through that phase or any other phase for that particular reason? Maybe he doesn't need that phase. So yeah, I, I prefer the um I prefer, yeah iterative planning. But even if you if you do those
0: cri- cri- criteria based periodization, I like that. Yeah.
1: So even if you if you perform those um the, the, the chunks or phase potentiations, you do realize it's it's the var- variety. So it's such saturating certain qualities to try to push them forward. Yeah, yeah. So the order could be, you know I I, I do think there's there's a, a little bit of effect to a phase potentiation to following a certain sequence.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well I mean even in Al's model he does have that, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah that there still is a phase potentiation or sequence to his training but it's just it's more it, he he gets down to what's more important to focus on like so if you go to that heuristics one in terms of you know keep it simple what what, what are the most important things to focus on al's al's program meets that criteria or that heuristic far better than traditional planning where traditional planning is just like you just you just follow this recipe all the time no matter what whereas al would seek out where a particular individual needs to focus on
1: yeah so the, the the whole idea is that the whole the, the whole idea to sum it up is that the traditional prioritization whatever that means Revolves around having a clearly defined qualities or the building blocks that mm-hmm. are usually defined from a physiological and biomechanical perspective, mm-hmm. and then uh, assuming that there's a, a method that hit those qualities. Yeah, and then you know, ways to organize them, maybe in in a, in a parallel or sequence or things like that. So, but then, for example, um, why would like why would like a soccer club Follow up a physio- physiology ba- physiology based predisposition like what why. Like the, the qualities they are being juggling with are the the qualities on a team level,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like defense offense transition corners and all this stuff. So why would you base and classify your drills and phases and and plan and base all your planning framework on physiological qualities that doesn't make any sense yeah, so yeah. that's why they, we have an uprising of the tactical periodization that uses qualities defined from a tactical perspective not physiological perspective mm-hmm. so that comes back to this idea of how they define qualities that i mentioned We have phenomenological approach mechanistical yeah. and physiological yeah. so phenomenological is what's being manifested in front of your eyes without too much testing so
0: Phenomenological, am I saying Phen- that right? It's phenomenological.
1: phenomena, phenomenological. Yeah, so it's, like,
0: yeah like phenomena, like the word phenomena, but the study of phenomena is, yeah, phenomenological.
1: So the phenomena will, will be different on different okay. levels of analysis. So if you're analyzing individual guy, it's going to be different qualities involved than if you're in, in, analyzing like a, a, a sub, sub, sub subsystem or defense line or something like that, and yeah. then different qualities on even higher level Say um a team like qualities of a team, so they're, they're going to be different than than, than um, individual qualities yeah. so it's similar to water so imagine like a water is fucking h2o right so it's h2o but it change changes it, its its properties based on temperature
0: mm-hmm. liquid solic so, acid gel
1: so it's it's like it's still h2o. But from a bigger perspective, it's it's liquid, it's uh, gas, it's it's water, it's. uh, conc-
0: uh well there's, a, there's the fourth phase now with Jerry Pollock's work. Oh yeah. <laughs> so apparently there's four there's four phases to it now. There's gel phase and apparently that's H somehow like H trio he calls it or something special. Something like red yeah, light. heavy. I
1: think heavy water or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I haven't. But, uh, I don't fully understand it. Like but, your fuck, fo- like your shit, man. I don't fully understand all of it either. So yeah, you're gonna have
1: different phenomena in this case, like ice, but you're gonna still have same athletes. So yeah, yeah. So it's gonna be the and same thing. we like you, you can run different software on the same hardware. Like the the software, the phenomena you see on a on a software is not directly uh, directly caused by a hardware. Like you can run Linux, you can run Windows, you can run everything on fucking Intel processor. Yeah.
0: So Kamir Milan to, to, to just to sum up agile periodization here, embrace uncertainties, know that all models are wrong to a degree, they're just starting points, and then the heuristics were find out what's important to focus on, maximize the upside and decrease the downside by asset allocation.
1: Uh, I would say the agile periodization is, is the framework that um, approaches planning from uncertainty perspective. Yeah rather than the physiological um physiologically defined qualities and this idea that we can predict the response yeah or but, uh, uh, predi- no
0: i'm just I, i'm just kind of giving the main bullet points of the second part yeah. of your book
1: yeah i would say yeah something along those lines yeah,
0: yeah. No, sorry and then go back so if i was at, sorry so then i'll put this question to you to make this just just to wrap up this and make it a little bit cleaner so Again, I'll just say the the summary of the second part of that book for me comes down to those kind of three heuristics, which is find out what's important, maximise the upside, decrease the downside. So through asset allocation. So again, like using like using the analogy there of like a concurrent plan and model or a complex parallel or like what we touched on with Al's model, where like. Al will train all qualities all the time, so he'll never be too wrong. He'll he'll emphasize on a particular quality or compatible qualities, but he'll always train every quality again to kind of decrease the risk, uh, decrease the downside, and hopefully maximize the upside. So again, that he'll he'll never be too wrong. But then, okay, just to get just to get then like a nice clean sort of. Uh, definition of agile periodization. I'll put that question to you. What is agile periodization? So you you kind of start to answer it there, and I interrupt you. So just give me your definition of it there again.
1: oh I mean, I'm I'm trying actually to make an infographic <laughs> on that. Uh, I, there are multiple elements, but I would say, uh, as I mentioned before, is that a, a agile periodization is approaching planning from uncertainty perspective rather than mm-hmm. physiological perspective. Yeah. So. Uh, And and I think there are multiple techniques that are involved. One is one is, you know, how do we define qualities, the MVP idea, embedded testing, iterative planning uh, and, you know, the the juggling the best practices. And and, and
0: we actually didn't explain to listeners what MVP was, like minimal viable, Well, we say minimal viable programs, but it comes from uh, kind of the construction engineering world is the minimal viable product or marketing so, world
1: um yeah it's 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 a vehicle for you to kind of deploy a program but also get the inf- meaningful information back to figure yeah. out what needs to be changed yeah. so, again you
0: you cover that in the book so for people listening maladin outlines up but i'm just buy the, book. <laughs> yeah, buy the book come here listen we'll, we'll wrap up there um where well actually before we get into where people can get the book and where people can find out more about you is there anything i didn't ask that you would have liked me to ask whether it's around the book or or anything else
1: it's a tricky tricky question to be honest i think we covered a lot of ground i think i missed a few things um
0: like listen you're always welcome to come back on
1: anytime yeah um but everything is pretty much covered in the book uh, <laughs> so uh, where, where, where is the best place to pick up that book? So uh, there, there are two versions. You have a paperback. Uh, you can buy it on Ultimate Athlete Concepts, which is the cheapest price or Amazon.com. Uh, and we have uh, a, a little bit redesigned ebook on complementarytraining.net, mm. uh, which is a little bit better when printed because the graphs are mm. in the vector format rather than, than the uh, bit bitmap format, I get you, yeah. so it, it's better resolution.
0: All right. And then give us the website and then tell the listeners if, if you want and if you can about any upcoming projects.
1: So yeah, complimentarytraining.net training.net, uh, is the website and actually I'm working on another manual. Um, I don't know the working title is a resistance training reference manual where I'm trying to put all these useful tables, uh that i've been using over the years in one one place so i can i don't need to you know spend minutes or or hours searching for it so i is can that, quickly is st-
0: that is that famous table that you put together gonna be in it you know fucking you got the the mike to share perlipin fucking vb talk, oh yeah everything. so all the
1: all this useful stuff is gonna be inside on in one place so again it's it's an mvp it's a small world yeah,
2: <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you can
1: use it to to have something to start with. So, you, you know, you, you use it as a best guess or the best estimate and then you use your own intuition and knowledge and artistic side, whatever you want to call it, to actually make a concrete plan.
0: Brilliant. And all, you're, yeah. you're fucking, you're wasting up brain of yours on that. Uh, on, on the fucking sports preparation profession. Now I say that tongue in cheek, because I absolutely love human performance. So just for any of the listeners, don't get your knickers in a twist. <laughs> so I, I love human performance just as much as anyone else. But just with that brainy yours, Maladin, and telling you.
1: man, uh, I'm I'm trying to make millions. So <laughs> let's see how that's gonna work. You'll
0: be the first millionaire sports sports consultant.
1: Sport, uh, I don't know. Maybe there's there there are a few. I know some people like more and more people are telling me they're switching. To business like yeah. consulting for businesses yeah
0: yeah,
1: rather than consulting for clubs like i'm not not gonna tell any names but i know a, a little like a few names you can tell me offline yeah i will <laughs> so there yeah there are a lot of people switching to uh
0: yeah i know a few i know a few myself as well that's sure listen because this this industry
1: is is is, is tricky like yeah. A lot of moving, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, salary is shit. Like, is is there like a recent, recent research about the average salary in the UK sports?
0: Well, unless you're fucking what's his name uh, at uh, at fucking Alabama. What's his fucking name again? Ah, the training commission coach there. Is it Chris in? something? No, it's not. It's not. It's a uh, Cochran. Yes. his second name. But uh, is it Chris
1: Cochrane or someone, something like that? Is like, it
0: not sh- It's not, not Sean, is it? Or Shane? Cochrane's the second name anyway. Yeah. Nick Sabe is the head coach, and Cochrane is the. Uh,
1: he's making a half a million or something like that.
0: Half a million or something like that. Yeah, he's a nutball.
1: Yeah, but we, like, why not? Like, I'm not gonna. On, like, congrats. Like, he's pushing the, the bar up. Like, the head coach is making multiple millions. Scott
0: Cochrane, that's his name. Yes. Scott, Scott Cochrane. I knew, I knew it was an S. Um. Yeah. Just. I, I. literally just typed in Cochrane and it just came with Cochrane, Alabama." Salary. <laughs> See, good, in-
1: like good, good, stuff. Like, like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fair ball, soon. Fair ball, soon. You know what I mean. But like,
1: what, what's like? There's a research I think on on average, like how many people are actually interning in in UK sports, and what's the average salary is like thirty grand. Ah, it's about 30 it. grand, man. Yeah, it's like it. in Serbia, I yeah. well, will be great money. I
0: need, need a fucking master's And soon enough to be a Ph.D. And you'll still be on 30 yeah, like,
1: uh, you need to be under 30, have a Ph.D., have uh, published papers, work in high level performance like, oh, and then earn 30 grand. Like, yeah. fuck
0: you. Like, uh, <laughs> fuck that. Like, that's why most people are doing all these things like these fucking online summits, because they're making like 20, 30 grand a pop at man, them. And, yeah, you know what I mean. Come here no, four Before we go, for a wrap up here, uh, what what are you reading at the moment? You're always reading. Oh go. man,
1: I have uh, this great two books. Like I have this one, the The Model Thinker by Scott Page, which mm. just came out. The Model uh, Thinker. Yeah. So that's the like every time I mention this course, um, the, the The Model Thinker course. I'm gonna take another book. I started. That was a course, so Model Thinker. Yeah, there's a Coursera course. I think that's the best course I ever took. Oh, yeah. By the way, I must—I don't know if I said this before.
0: Thank you so much for introducing me to Coursera. Years oh, man, that's
1: the old stuff. There's so many uh, so other many. other um, providers now. So you have uh, what's the name? The Data Camp for for programming and data oh, analysis. Wow. Data Camp, which is outstanding also. And Coursera is free. This is another book I'm reading, The Seeking Wisdom. Nice. So from uh, from Darwin to Munger, Peter Bevelin.
0: Someone else tell me about that book.
1: Probably Nassim Taylor. <laughs> no,
0: it wasn't Nassim Taylor. I think it yeah, was well, Mike. Has you? Someone mentioned that book to me.
1: So it's it's a great book because it's an overview of, of the major ideas, uh, from biology to investing to decision making and you know, all this stuff. So, and if Nassim Taylor says it's good, it's, it must be good. So. You really
0: like you really like him, don't you? You like you like Nasim Taleb.
1: Oh man, I like Nasim and and Jordan Peterson, but like. Oh, what, are you, what,
0: are like you, what are you making that all me the
1: Oh, I just made a, a meme. Like I don't know if you know uh, saw the meme. I said like uh, p- people say that his health. Like I created that meme called the the hard to swallow pills. <laughs> You know, and a hard to swallow pill is that people say, "Ah, Jordan Peterson health improved because of the of the carnivore diet." Like, man, he's he improved because he quit. Like, he didn't quit, but he he stopped doing lecturing. He's making shit lot of money, and you know, stopped drinking alcohol too, didn't he? Also, and he like he improved. Like, he stepped up in a packing order. Like, he's really influential now. So, but that,
0: like, uh, I I think the 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 best or not the best, but like it's. It's like anything, too. It's like, what did you take out of your fucking life is probably what led to it more than anything else. Like, you know, if all you eating is meat, it means that all the shit you are eating before is gone, like, too, you know. And as you said, he stopped lecturing and stuff, whatever else. But.
1: I mean, I don't know how many, how much money he was making on Patreon. So he's like 50 grand a month. Yeah, I don't know. So I, like, I think that will sort out my health problems also. <laughs>
0: Weird, listen, I'll, wrap up, <laughs> I'll wrap up this podcast. And we'll, we'll chat a little bit offline. So listen, for all the listeners, go out there. Grab that book. So the name again is Hit Manual, High Intensity Interval Training and Agile Periodization. Edited by Brian Mann and Matt Uh, And you can get it at Ultimate Athlete Concepts, Amazon, and there'll be an... Is the ebook version out? Is it out as of now?
1: It's it's on the website.
0: Oh, it's on the website, yes. So go to complimentarytraining.net. Uh, and you'll be able to get that there, and everything the everything <laughs> will be in the show notes. Buy the book. So the All good right. thing is
1: also you have a, um, a HAT builder, which is a software that follows. Yes, yeah, that's it. very and, important. And that's a tool that actually really, really good because it you know with few clicks you can create workouts immediately or groups. Do you get
0: that? Do you get that if you purchase the book or is that separate?
1: No, 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 no. I need, I need
0: money. <laughs> <laughs> <Tell> <laughs> no, you, you're, you're wasting your time, man. Uh, you. we,
1: we're going to, we're going to make just, a, a let's package. Just get into,
0: let's just get into investment menu, yeah. asset allocation.
1: So yeah, uh, we're going to make a package. So like a, like a combo deal where you can buy a, a ebook, um, 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 HAT builder and the beep test. So it's going to be cheaper. Uh, and we don't, we still don't have, they're still separate products, but in, in few weeks or a few days, we, we're going to have like a, a a combo it's like H A T combo something see like what you. You hit that. combo
0: all right listen all the listeners thanks again for your earbuds and if you can share this around and i hope you enjoyed this conversation with my man maladin so for now uh until next time everyone take care be well and stay strong <laughs>